Thank you, Seth. Hi. It's been a long time since I've been here, it seems like. It's good to be back. So we're having a, uh, I'm having just a, a great weekend. My, uh, all of my kids have come home, and we're all meeting up at Camp Utmost uh, here for the last two or three days for a little family reunion. And uh, that's been absolutely uh, a lot of fun, overwhelming. So we got 15 grandkids, and I guess uh, five kids and their significant others, and, uh, and me and my significant other. And, and uh, right in the middle of all of that, uh, I got a call the night before last that my father had passed away. And, uh, but in, in a the most gracious way, you know, he died, basically fell asleep, and my, my brother was at his house because he, he had been sick for a few days pretty bad, and, and uh, so that's always kind of an emotional weird, well, always, I don't know, I think everybody handles that differently, you know, my oldest brother who was with him was a mess, my uh, brother just older than me um, wasn't, and I, I don't really know how to deal with it yet, so I'm not. But if I should melt down, and fly, <laughs> um, it's because I just, it's kind of been a weird weekend that way, just emotionally intense, right? Um, which is one of the things about life that makes me crazy. Uh, we never get a chance to come at life, on, I mean, and just nail it. Because every day, it seems, in our life, there's something that, you know, whether it's a backache or uh, a conflict with somebody that we love or somebody at work or what, I don't think there's been a day of my life where I didn't have to enter that day and, uh, and, and feel ready for it. You know what I mean? Um, and um, thankfully, when I read the Bible, and the older I get, the more I read the Bible, the more I try to read it without all of the theological baggage that I put on it from probably too much uh, other education, but as, as God educates us as we grow on with him individually, because our growth with God is a very unique thing. He's doing it between, you know, he's teaching me, and he's teaching you. It's the dangerous thing about about uh, seminaries, you know, is that we get somebody else's view of God rather than see him in that facet that he gives us of himself. Um, I find as I read the Bible that way that all of the patriarchs were just like you and me. Really, we get to see their failures and their struggles and their humanity very much, right? So I wanna look at, at just a little story uh, about Abraham. And this is dangerous because, you know, I could just go on way too long. Uh, how do you talk about Abraham in one, in one message? But I want to do that. And so we'll be actually in, in Genesis chapter 17, if you want to turn there, and then I'll pray and give us all the opportunity to, to just pray that the Holy Spirit teaches us something that'll be a takeaway from the word today. I'm going to move this up in my direction. And if you'd pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us alone ever. Thank you that our, uh, when we do feel alone, that's a lie. That that's 
not real. That um, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That uh, he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that you're with us today. That where two or three are gathered in your midst are uh, together, that you're in the midst of us. You're right here in the middle of us. And uh, so we ask you to be the teacher. We ask you to teach us through the life of this man, Abraham, and teach us about ourselves and teach us about you so that we um, have confidence to come boldly before the throne of grace to seek your face. We ask in agreement in Jesus' name. Amen. Since I saw you last, um, Debbie and I had a great opportunity to go to Israel. Never been there. And my kids, bless them, all put up money to send uh, their mother and I to, uh, to the Holy Land. So I don't know if any of you know Ron Yude, but we went with Ron. Uh, he was a pastor up at Kalispell Central Bible for a lot of years. And, and uh, he spent 10 years over in Israel uh, off and on taking different tours and stuff. And we were just with him and then a, a Baptist pastor and his wife out of Billings. So there was just the three couples of us, and we drove all over. Israel, and it was really, really a hoot. Um, got to see a lot of country and and places that I'd, I'd studied all my life. And of course, as you're doing that, you you think about all of those stories. Um, and one of the the interesting things was when we we drove up to Hebron one day, um, and that's the place where Abraham and Sarai was, or Sarah was buried um, there by the Oaks of Mamre, um, and. What was shocking about it was that it was ugly. <laughs> it really was not a, a pretty spot at all. It was kind of, kind of, if you can imagine, a, a, a great big basilica on top of uh, um, Pipestone Pass or something. You know, it was just—it's kind of rocky. And um, I'm thinking uh, there apparently were some oaks there um, and some trees, and there's kind of some scrubby trees there now. But it's mostly pretty ugly. And then when we went down to uh, um, Beersheba, the same thing where, where Abraham um, had his well uh, in the Negev, it's, it's up, you know, also where he spent a lot of time and where Hagar in this story ends up going. And it's just, it's desert. A lot of that country, you know, they've, they've done a lot of wonderful things to Israel in terms of, you know, gardens and, and uh, um orchards and stuff, but for the most part, a lot of it's not real. It kind of looks like you're, uh, it, it actually, I was surprised at how much it looks like the, um, the uh, flannel graphs that we had in Sunday school. You, even the trees, you know, they kind of look like that, you know. Um, so that, they got that part right. Apparently the people that did the flannel graph had spent time there, but it wasn't real pretty country, and Abraham's life was not a real pretty life. He actually had a pretty tough life, if you think about it, and we're given a lot about Abraham. As a matter of fact, there in Hebron, this huge, on top of this hill, uh, surrounded by Israeli defense forces, because it's, it's actually in the West Bank, uh, the town is, and uh, there's this massive temple-like basilica there. Half of it, it's kind of cut in half, half of it, is for people that are Jewish or see Abraham from the Isaac perspective, and the other half goes in another door and they come at it from Ishmael's perspective. 
Uh, so the Muslims come in this side, and Jews and Christians come in this side, and if you're a nervy Christian, you can come in as a Muslim, but cover your head if you're a woman, and I don't know, don't show your legs or something, I don't know. Um, but it's really interesting because that's where Abraham, the, the tomb of Abraham and Sarah is, and both see Abraham as father. And, um, and there's, I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal there. That's why the IDF is there, the, because there's, there's conflict there all the time. As a matter of fact, while we were there, there was a stabbing uh, in one of the guard shacks. A uh, Palestinian came in and attacked one of the uh, Israeli defense forces. And uh, it's, there's just conflict all the time in that, in that town and in the West Bank. And everybody had, lays claim to Abraham, which was interesting. So going back to him, we're, we're looking at this story in chapter 17. Abraham's life was not easy. And as you read from chapter 12 on, Abraham started in Ur of the Chaldees with a father and a couple of brothers. One of those brothers had died, and so that was a heartache. I've never had a brother die. Um, but uh, if you've had a sibling die, that was apparently really hard on Abraham. And we know that partially because Abraham takes that brother's son under his wing as a friend and a brother, and that's Lot, okay? So that was Haran, and, and uh, Lot becomes, Abraham just takes that responsibility and, and hangs out with Lot, takes him on this journey. And then they, they go up north, and before to the town of Haran, I imagine maybe uh, named after his brother. Um, and then Abraham's father, Terah, dies up there. And so Abraham continues that journey into an unknown place, and not necessarily a pretty place, probably prettier than Iraq or Iran, where he was coming from. But um, he comes into um, the promised land, a land he doesn't know. And, uh, and he has kind of a tough life. And uh, he's given a promise by God. In chapter 15, we get this promise uh, of God that I'll make you, Abraham, uh, God says to him, I will make you like the star. Look up into the sky, and I'll make you a father of many nations. I'll make you like your children, like the, the stars of the sky. A huge promise. Abraham sees, gets a picture, gets a word from God, and I don't know how he gets that word. You know, whether God, we, we know in uh, Later on in chapter 19, God, three men come, and he speak, seems to speak with the angel of the Lord. Maybe that's Jesus, in, you know, a, a pre-incarnate form of Christ. Um, and by the way, if you're not familiar with Abraham, the stories of Abraham, I encourage you this week to actually go back and, and just to read chapter 12 um, and on uh, about his life. Um, So God makes a promise to Abraham, and it's bigger than Abraham. It's bigger than Abraham would imagine. He's just a normal guy, just like you and me, and, and kind of a sinful guy. We get that, you know, when he wanders down to Egypt, and he, he lies about his wife and says, well, Sarah's my sister, because he's afraid. He's fearful about um, the Pharaoh um, wanting his wife and killing him. Um, same thing happens when he comes back into the land, into a Philistine area. Uh, he makes the same lie. He's a man of failure. And when God makes his promise to him, he's like 86 years old. That ought to encourage you. <laughs> um, so we still have time, um, most of us here, to, uh, it takes a lifetime. And God speaks to him and makes a promise to him at 86, makes a covenant with him. And in that covenant, 
God tells Abraham to divide the flesh of some animals, female goats, and a ram, a couple rams, or a ram, a female goat, and a turtle dove, and a, another bird of some kind. Um, and uh, he cuts this flesh in half, and it, and it says that, that Abraham passed out during the covenant that God made with him. And, and, but he wakes up enough to see a smoking oven, a burning flame, wander in through the dead flesh that he's parted and that's a, a sign of covenant, but God is the one making the covenant. Abraham's too weak to even enter into that covenant, but just receives it from God. I think that's an important thing. Uh, Thirteen years later, if I'm getting my numbers right, uh, 17, Genesis chapter 17. Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be perfect. Wow, well that's um, a tall order. <laughs> I am God Almighty, walk before me and be perfect. I want to come back to that. Um, well, what's being said there? I won't come back to it. I'll go there now. That word, walk before me, um, the Hebrew word there, and I, I wish I knew Hebrew better, but you can get this out of your strong accordance. It means it actually comes from the word face, before me. Walk toward me, toward my face, in front of my face, meet me face to face, kind of like God on, uh, on Sinai with Moses. The ground you're on is holy ground. I want you to come close but you're also going to need to take your shoes off. You're going to need to, you know, stay where you're at, Moses, right now, because you can't come near the fire until there's some type of behavior modification, and that's where we get complicated. We know that God is holy. We know that God is not only holy, because sometimes, like I've said before here, um, holy isn't necessarily talking about God, God being with, um, morally perfect, but it, it, it's a relational thing. God wants a relationship with us. But to have that relationship, there needs to be a, a change in us. There needs to be a recognition of his perfection and his beauty and his glory and his bigness and his covenant with us. So he says, walk before me, walk toward me, and be perfect. What does that mean? Because we can't do it, and we're intimidated right at that point. If you want to, you can turn over to James chapter 1. You don't have to because you're familiar with the verse. It says this. And I think, I'm pretty sure that James is actually, in this verse, he's actually going back and thinking of this very passage, uh, Genesis 17.1, because he's defining that word perfect, and he's talking about faith. He's talking about Abraham's faith. Now, what I want to talk about a little bit today without confusing you is just how Abraham uh, was, uh, God declared Abraham righteous because of his faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Are you familiar with that term? Have you heard that before? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Because that principle is biblical from Genesis to Revelation. That principle is huge. It's brought up again and again in the Gospels. It's brought up by Paul in Romans chapter 4. It's brought up by Paul in, Roman, in uh, Galatians chapter 4. 
as opposed to the law, you don't get perfect to God with God by the law, by behavior modification. If you try to do this with behavior modification, you're going you're gonna to have trouble. It's not going to work for you. You're going to get frustrated with yourself. You're going to frustrate people around you probably even more than you frustrate yourself. Remember your Baptist aunt, you know, whatever, that, that terrorized you with, uh, you know, when you were young, whatever. Um, we, cannot, we cannot please God by the works of the law. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so James, picking up on that in, in uh, chapter 1, says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, just like Abraham, just like you do in life. Life is full of trials, some through the water, some through the flood, uh, some through the fire, but all through the blood. We all go through hard things. That's the way, what God uses to get our attention. It broke my heart when you mentioned this friend that, uh, that committed suicide. It just breaks my heart. Because life is hard right now, is it not? It's difficult. And it's probably difficult for everybody sitting here in one fashion or another. Maybe you haven't been able to share with somebody just how tough it is and how deep it gets. But life is hard. That's the stuff God uses to get our attention. Consider it all joy, then, James says, when you encounter these various trials, that, uh, knowing that the testing of your willpower produces endurance. Is that what it says? No. But we think it does. We think that what produces endurance in our life is te the testing of our willpower, of our trying, right? He didn't say that. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith, because that's what he wants. He's looking for faith. He's want, looking for our belief. Because willpower is centered in me. Faith is centered in him. You see the difference? Faith is relational, always a relational thing. I'm trusting him. If I'm trusting in my willpower, who am I trusting in? in me. I'm not going to be able to make it. And so he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work, its perfect result. And here's where he ties into that verse 1 in chapter 17 of Genesis, that you may be complete, perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing, is what James says. That's a, a perfect description of that Hebrew word in Genesis 17. In other words, whole, because you're not right now, because I'm not right now. Or like Rocky would say, I got gaps, if you remember that movie. I got holes in me, ma major holes. My life is a shadow in so many ways. I don't feel real. I don't feel whole. I certainly don't feel good about who I am often any more than Abraham did. And so that was a tall order for God to say, Abraham, I want you to walk in my face. I want you to walk right, I want you to walk up to me. I want you to walk before me, toward me, um, and be perfect. Because the only way you can be whole is to walk toward him. Back to 17, um, Genesis 17. So God makes a promise to Abraham again here in 17. After that, walk toward me and, and be perfect. Be whole, Abraham. Let's get the relational thing going, right? And then he makes the promise again. You're going to be like your, your children, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heaven, like the sand of the seashore. And I want you to make part of our covenant this time for you to remember, and this would be memorable, is uh, the covenant of circumcision. 
Uh, and, and we're not even gonna touch that um, for good reason. Um, it's a complicated thing, and I think it's, it's actually brilliant, but we're in mixed company and we'll leave that one. But um, uh, that's part of the covenant uh, that he makes, yeah, I want you to, to be circumcised and to circumcise those that come after you because I'm going to make this great nation come from you. Big promise. And so, um, and, and, and while God's uh, telling him all of this, and, and you can read this maybe for, for devotions this week, uh, through 17, wander down to verse 17 of chapter 17 of Genesis. <clears throat> After God promised her, promised Abraham, rather, that uh, he would make him uh, the father of many nations. Oh, by the way, I get ahead of myself. What did Abraham do then to help God? What did Abraham do to help God? when He, he got the covenant in chapter 12 and 15, and so what happened is Sarai says, well, you know, if, we're gonna be the, if you're going to be the father of many nations, we're going to have to have some children, right? I mean, that would be necessary. So... Um, Sarah comes up with this idea, you can have my maid Hagar, and because I'm barren, I can't have kids, that would take this total miracle, right? And so Hagar, um, she is given to Abraham, and they have a child, and that child's name is Ishmael, the father of, really, the father of, at least spiritually, of all Muslims, of the Arab nations, the wild donkey of a man, um, is the prophecy later in there. Um, because, after all, God would need a little help, wouldn't he, to uh, fulfill his promise. Um, and so later, God says, no, you're going to have a child of promise that comes from your own loins and from Sarah. And that's the promise made here in the next chapter as well. But when God makes that... Um, in verse 15 to him, he says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, because she shall, I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. That's going to take a miracle. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Um, kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Remember how Sarah laughs in the next chapter, you know, when the, angels of, the angel of the Lord is there? She says, there's no way it's going to happen. Abraham laughs already right now. He's 99 years old, remember? And he's saying, this ain't going to happen. You know, that ship has sailed, right? Um, said in his heart, look at verse 17, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? It can't happen. I want you to stop for a minute. And I'm going to ask you to try, you know, to, to dig real deep, kind of just all by yourself. We won't ask anybody to make any public confessions, but dig real deep in your own heart and ask, how has this Christianity thing worked for you? How has this following Jesus thing worked for you so far? It's tough. It's a tall order, isn't it? I think I've told you before, not one day of my life has my head hit the pillow. And I said, man, I nailed today. <laughs> I just did it well today. I was righteous today. I was perfect today. Today was perfect. Not one day in my life. And I've tried. I mean, I don't know how. That's all relative. But I've tried to be a godly man. And I've struggled so much. And the deeper I look at myself, I go, it ain't going to happen. 
I could laugh at God and say, your promise to make me perfect, to seek your face and to find you, doesn't look good. Oh, that my best efforts would be acceptable to you. Look what Abraham says in verse 18, and this is the point of this message this morning. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Look what Abraham's doing. He's saying, God, I I see that you're not going to be able to fulfill the promise. I want to help you in that. And she's barren. I'm bringing nothing to the table here, God. Besides that, you've just, you know, made me damage that. <laughs> um, I'm bringing nothing to the table. Oh, that Ishmael. Oh, that my attempt at righteousness would be enough for you. Are you getting the correlation what's happening here? Oh, that my feeble attempt would stand before you. And the word he uses here is different. He, he's not saying, oh, that Ishmael would, would, would seek your face and stand before you and walk toward you. He's saying, oh, that Ish- Ishmael would survive, is the word he's using there. That Ishmael would, would continue to live on. That there might be some type of eternal hope for Ishmael because I'm not, it's not, I, can't, I can't be perfect. I can't find you. And I don't think that you can fulfill your promise. I don't think you can complete the work that you've begun in me. Hmm. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you know how the rest of the story goes. The rest of the story is that, uh, that God does a miracle in his life. That Abraham believes God, and God does it. Oh, that my best efforts would stand before you. Oh, that all that I can do to please you. And that's the law. By the way, Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 4, like I was talking about, go back and read those this week um, because he refers to this story in that. He's saying that it wasn't the law that made. It wasn't best efforts. It was a relationship with God, it was walking toward him, it was trusting him, trusting that he's going to complete the work that he began in you. And here's the point, is that what keeps us, I think what keeps us from God is that there's something in, in, in our human nature, I don't know whether it's the image of God in us that, that, that longs for sonship, that longs for relationship with him, but somehow we feel like our Ishmael has to, our best we have to clean up our act before we get to him. Am I alone in that? Because that's exactly what, and those best efforts are always filthy rags, and we know that. There's a, there's a picture for us right now in Jerusalem, and that is on the Temple Mount, on the meeting place with God. What's there today? A building with a great big, that, that looks like a, a, a tumor with a great big gold dome on it. Standing right where where the is where where it, uh, Isaac is supposed to meet God, where Abraham, where the, the, the place of covenant, probably the very place that uh, 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 Mount Moriah itself, there, where the sacrifice was made, and what's there now? A big gold dome showing us that man constantly 
about the law. It's about me somehow pleasing God. That means I bow five times a day. That means I make sure I wash when I ever come into his presence. Literally, right? You know, half of that mosque is just a washing place. So that I can somehow clean my body enough so that God will even accept me. Do you see the heresy? It's Galatian heresy. And it's all through the Bible. And it's the one message that I still have trouble getting into my heart. That he wants me now, today, to walk toward his face, to say, here I am. And I, no, Israel's a mess, man. Israel's my efforts. My efforts are not pleasing to you. I need your promise. I need relationship with you to draw me into fellowship with you. Not my efforts. Stop thinking about your efforts, your best efforts, your Ishmael. And when we do, how ugly we are. When we think it's our best efforts, when we think it's our righteousness that somehow gets us close to God, you ever known a Christian that's like that? Isn't that ugly? As a matter of fact, that's what turns the world away from Christ. It's not our humility that turns people's eyes away from Jesus. It's our arrogance. It's our self-righteousness. And we do it so well, don't we? Because, because deep in our heart, we're still trying, oh, that Ishmael might stand before you. Instead of, I need your pro, I need you to do the cleaning up in my life. And that only happens through relationship, not through law. It doesn't happen through me getting my act together and then coming to God. It's me coming to him and letting that fire purify my heart, letting that desire for him. We know that. The only thing that's ever going to clean my heart towards him is when I want him more than I want my sin. And the only way I'm going to want him more than I want my sin is to know him, to see him as he is, to see the beauty of the Lord. To see his heart. And watch this. To see that he loves me just as I am. And as the cliche and wonderful cliche it is goes. He loves me too much to leave me the way I am. So I turn to him. Um, oh that Ishmael might stand before you. Isn't that a crazy? That's why Paul's Screams it out in Galatians chapter 4. Stop it. Having begun by the Spirit, having begun understanding a relationship of that, that he forgave you, that he washed you, that he made you clean, and he said, come to me now. That's what the blood of Christ is about. That's why you can't have a crossless Christianity, because you, you need that place of, 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 uh, of sacrifice that Jesus made, the ram caught in the thicket, if you will, the sacrifice of Christ for me. I'll cover you. You go walk before the Lord. You walk before my Father. The elder brother Jesus says, I'm the sacrifice. Now, um, now, walk toward him and be perfect. Um, I encourage you maybe to look into that this week. Um, it's something I'm working on in the process of. Father in heaven, thank you that it's all true, that you really are very much alive and that you love us and you want us to turn to you and come to you. Thank you that there's no one in this room this morning, no one that we know, that at any time 
is too messed up or too unclean to turn to you, to come and to, to talk to you, to tell you the truth about who we are and who we aren't. And that it's as we turn to you and as we pray to you and as we are in relationship with you that you, you do the cleaning. You show us the next thing to do, whether it's taking off our shoes or taking off a bad habit or bringing um, um, bringing something to you in terms of sacrifice. You're the one that will show us the next thing to do in our advance toward you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood of the cross that uh, made us pure before you enough to come to you that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Thank you that Abraham was no more than us. He was a man just like us. That Sarah was a man, or a woman just like, um, just like us. That that you reach out to simple people like us, and you, the God of all creation, wants relationship with us. We're so grateful for that. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just. Um, fire up our hearts with this. Remind us of this this week as we go out and we face the difficulties of this week. We ask it in agreement in Jesus' name. Amen.